Okay, I want to start in Romans 8 once again, and tonight um, we're talking about glorification. I really had intended to take a couple of these together, but but um, that's all right. I mean, the way the discussion worked out and all, I felt like I should come back to it. Um, so the last couple of weeks, you know, we've, we've talked about justification, justification, of course, being um, a declaration by God made about us. So, so there. So, justification is not. Uh, it's not something done in us or on us or something like that. It's not an inner work. It's. It is a declaration by God about us, essentially declaring us not guilty, um, based upon what Christ has done in our behalf. So, based upon the the imputed righteousness of Christ, the 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 fact that our sins are taken away, forgiven and that Christ's righteousness is put to our account. So justification is a, a one-time uh, event, a declaration made by God um, at uh, our following re- regeneration. We talked about that also. Uh, when you're born again, um, come to faith in Christ, and then God um, declares us justified. And then last week we talked about sanctification. Sanctification is an inner work. That is something that God does in us, on us, you know, work that he, he does in us. And it's, it's not, unlike justification, it's not a, a, a one-time, you know, immediate one-time event. It starts at regeneration. That's where sanctification begins. But it lasts however long you last in, <laughs> in this world, however long your, your life is that's that's how long the sanctification process takes because it never comes to completion as as long as we're in this world and so that's that's something that in, this, in a strange way I, I maybe is uh, encouraging I mean sometimes you, if you you look at yourself and you know and you think why am I not um, where I should be or whatever you know it, it's I think it's encouraging for us to remember that. We're not. We're not going to. We're not going to arrive while we're alive in this world. Um, we're, we're always going to be going through the process of sanctification. And what is sanctification? It is um, essentially becoming uh, more like Christ. Um, so being conformed to the image of Christ. In fact, um, that's that's what Paul says here in Romans eight verse. Uh, 29, being uh, to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the sanctification process right there. So it's being um, being changed. Um, Romans 12 comes to mind. You know, there Paul says, uh, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That is, present your whole being to God as a." living sacrifice, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, so that, that transformation process, process a, a, a change of uh, where, our, where our whole outlook changes. You know, we take on a new worldview, and of course some of that is instantaneous, but, it, but, it, but we gradually grow in it um, as we, as we uh, move along in our Christian life. So, so our outlook on things changes. Of course, um, hopefully, uh, 
our view of God, you know, just just gets bigger and bigger and and uh, more accurate and <laughs> more realistic. And our view of self, you know, hopefully we we um, we we rely um, less and less on self and more and more on God, right? because that's where our um, dependence should be <coughs> should be on Him. So and then just you know taking on the characteristics being. Uh, you think of the, the fruit of the Spirit uh, at work in our lives as we, as we grow as Christians. Um, so things like love and joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temper. These things, um, we want to become more and more uh, manifest in our lives and, and uh, operational. So, our, so our, our character changes. And, and again, the whole idea is behind sanctification is we become more like Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit is really at, at work in us, and, and we want to be more and more and more under, con, under the control of the Holy Spirit, being full of the Holy Spirit. All right, so tonight we come, come to sanct- uh, go ahead, glorification. A lot of times in the Scripture, the term sanctified is used, I think, in, in the sense of just our being set apart. So like when, you're, when we're saved, you know, we could say, at least from our perspective it really happened <laughs> you know god set us apart before the world was uh in his mind but as far as our experience when when we're when we're regenerated now our whole life changes and so we're set apart god has set us apart for the glory of god you know think about Paul, uh, saul of tarsus we just talked about sunday um he's he's going about persecuting the church and everything doing um doing his thing thinking that he's doing god a service but what happens is um, when Christ arrests him and, and calls him, um, he is set apart for true service to God. He thought he was doing God's service before, but, but when, when Christ got a hold of him, now he is set apart for true service to God. So in that sense, um, yeah, we're sanctified. Always, you think about the, uh, for example, the... the the um, instruments and the uh, uh, utensils that they used in the Old Testament tabernacle and in the temple, and those things were considered sanctified, you know, holy, made holy. Um, and if and if you would have, you know, picked one of them up, like a set of tongs or whatever that they used at the altar, and then a set of tongs that they used in their household, if they did use them in their household. You wouldn't have seen any essential difference, but these tongs that they were that they were using in the temple were sanctified, that is, uh, set apart for God's use. And so, uh, so yeah, I would say in that sense, we're it's past tense. Um, we're, we're talking about the process of sanctification. But uh, but yeah, if you do if you do like a word search, you know, and I did this last week as a matter of fact. But if if you do like a uh, just get a um, concordance and, and, and look at all of the instances of sanctified in the New Testament, I think you'll find that most of the time it's talking about uh, just being set apart. It's talking about a done deal. But that's, that's why, you know, even last week I was trying to be clear that I'm, I'm talking here about a process, the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. Because that's, that's usually the way that we use the term when, when we talk about sanctification. So, but, you know, and, and I'll say one more thing, cause just in case, because I don't know who you've been talking to, Bob, but, but uh, 
because <laughs> I know you told me about some of your coworkers, but but the, there is the the like the old Wesleyan sense when they say sanctified, they're t- they're talking about something that I would say is incorrect. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm saved and sanctified past tense, and and they're kind of meaning the same thing we mean by it, except that they're saying it's done. Okay, um, oops, let me get back to Romans here. Romans 8. All right, so here's the golden chain again, and what we were just talking about. I'll just read through this again. Um, verse 29 and 30. For those whom he, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called... And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So there's the golden chain there, um, starting with pre, uh, foreknowledge. Those whom he foreknew, and then the next link is predestined. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. And then those whom he predestined, he called. So called is the next link. And then those whom he called, he justified. There's the next link. And those whom he justified, he glorified. So you got the golden chain there. Um, God foreknew us, which, which uh, as I explained before, is the idea of he setting, set his love on us. Um, knew us intimately, in other words. And those whom he foreknew, he called. So at uh, a particular point in time in our life, he calls us to himself, just like, again, we saw Sunday as we were reading about Saul of Tarsus. Um, he, he receives the, the effectual call. You know, in fact, in his case, it was uh, audible. <laughs> Unique there. But, but he receives the effectual call. He, God calls him to himself. And, and then Paul says, those whom he called, um, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. I think I skipped that one. But that's just, the, again, just the idea of being marked out ahead of time. So, so he, he uh, set his love on us, and he marked us out, and then he called us, and those whom he called us, he, those whom he called, he justified, that is, declares us not guilty, imputes to our account the righteousness of Christ so that we are um, just justified in his sight. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All right, so, and, and here, as I noted before, it's, Paul says it here in the past tense. But, uh, but I do think, you know, because of the, the logical sequence here, that uh, what he's talking about here is the final glorification. But you know what? In the mind of God, it's a done deal. I mean, it can be spoken of in, in the past tense because it's that sure to happen. It's just like Jesus saying in John 6, um, all that the Father's given me will come to me, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now, he's confident of that, <laughs> that, he's gonna, that, that all that the Father gives him um, will persevere to the end, and he will raise them up at the last day. There's no doubt in his mind about that. All right, so glorification. What is glorification? Well, it, it is the, the completion of uh, God's... Um, redemption process and a lot of times you uh for us a lot of times you hear me uh, you know i've said many times i you, 
refer to salvation as a process. That's what I mean by it. It, it, it begins with our um, being foreknown and predestined um, and then continues on with our calling, regeneration, where that's where we're actually uh, come to life, you know, regenerated and then justified, just as we've seen here. We're declared, uh, we're declared uh, in right standing with God. We're declared not guilty. But it continues on, that is the salvation process, continues on through eternity, really, but we, we will know the fullness of it at glorification. So, for example, what do I mean by the fullness of it? Well, for example, we don't yet have glorified bodies, and we don't yet live in in God's presence the way that we will then. We, we are definitely in His presence now, and uh, we're in Him, and He's in us. Um, but there's a distinction in, in uh, the state in which we current, currently uh, exist and that in which we will exist um, once glorified. So we've got, like I was just saying the other, uh, the other day, you know, we, we live in the already and the not yet. So, so when we, and that's all included, when we talk about being saved, the already, stuff like regeneration, justification, or being chosen before the foundation of the world, and the not yet, glorification, to be in the presence of the Lord for eternity, to have a new body, to be, um, to experience um, a sinless state. That's what we've got to look forward to. We'll take take us through a, a few passages here. In fact, we'll start right here where we're at. We just need to back up a little bit. Romans eight. Um, verse eighteen. Paul Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So see he's he's looking forward as he as he moves through this life, in fact, he's, he's giving us these words as uh, words of encouragement because of the things that we deal with in this present life. So, so Paul says the sufferings of this present time are not, compare, are, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So he's saying there's something ahead of us that um, is great, as great as the, the, the suffering and the difficulties are that we face here. Uh, and boy, Paul went through some stuff. But as, as great as those things are here, he's saying the what is before us, the glory that is before us, just makes the suffering here look small by comparison. So he's living, and I think every Christian should, he's, he's, he's living with those promises in sight, the promise of reward in sight. So he's got an eye as he moves through this world and preaches the gospel and suffers for the sake of the name of Christ. He's, he's got an eye on eternity, right? He's looking ahead for the salvation that will be revealed. Verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to from its bondage to corruption 
and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So he pictures all of creation groaning, awaiting the day um, of, of, uh, of the completion of God's redemption plan. Verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Interesting. See, notice how he puts that before us. <clears throat> and it's not that we're not um, adopted now. We are. But, but I, again, I think he's making reference here to the, to the fullness of it. You know, we don't yet know the fullness of, of all that that means. That still lies ahead. <clears throat> and then he, he gives an explanatory phrase here. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's when our salvation comes to um, its, its fullest um, state. That's when it comes to completion. Because our, our body is, is part of us. And uh, I was thinking when you, when you said that earlier, it reminded me of uh, R.F. Gates used to um, have a similar statement. Um, and um, even this one, I would, <laughs> uh, I'm, I, I wouldn't be on board with totally, but I, but I like it. Nevertheless, from his, you know, he, he, he believed in the, the, what we call the trichotomy of the soul, body, soul, spirit, and which, if that's correct, fine. But, but uh, here's how he would explain salvation where we're at now. Um, saved, meaning spiritually your 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 salvation's done. Your spirit's perfect, and then being saved, um, referring to the the soul, you know, which which would, you know, of course, you think about the struggle like the Romans seven type struggle that we go through in this world, but and, and like we're talking about here, being conformed to the image of Christ, we're being saved, and then will be saved, and that is the redemption of the body. So certainly that last part, um, absolutely, um, is, is the, the point of completion, the redemption of the body. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. So, so we're looking forward to that. In fact, he says, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. So this, so this, is, this hope, uh, the redemption of our bodies and the completion of our of God's uh, redemption work is what we are looking forward to. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And I, I believe that's the word. Uh, I didn't look it up, but I'm, th I'm pretty sure that's the word uh, endurance there that he uses. Um, so what we do not see we we wait for with endurance so it lies a, ahead of us the completion the fullness of our salvation lies ahead of us and it's uh there's much much hope in that Let me check something out real quick right here so so yeah <coughs> that can be translated endurance <coughs> or perseverance but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with endurance. 
And remember what he said back in verse 18. He's talking about the sufferings of this present time. So, so in other words, he's saying we can endure, we can persevere um, through the sufferings of this present age because of the reward that is, it is, that is before us, the hope that lies before us. We, oh, you know, I've never been beaten with rods, never been shipwrecked or any of that stuff. Could be in the future, I don't know, but, but um, not, not so far. But I do know some things from experience, like, you know, with, with years, the body starts breaking down. <laughs> no, you know, even if you don't get beat with rods or whatever, your, your body starts breaking down and, and, and you get, you know, uh, uh, to use Brother Carl's you know, terminology here, you can't uh, run fast, jump high and all that good stuff anymore like you used to could. Right? So we're looking forward to new bodies. New bodies. So um, we eagerly wait for that. Uh, you know, sometimes we, um, sometimes we may not anticipate that as much as we should. I mean, you can see, you, you can hear it in Paul here. He says, we eagerly wait. He's, he, he's longing for that. And sometimes we think, well, we kind of think in terms of just getting free from this body. But, but what we need is, uh, is, is it to be fixed, right, or re, redone, remade. And that's what God is, is going to do at, at our glorification. And that will be, by the way, at the, uh, at the final resurrection. So there's a little bit about the hope that we're talking about in glorification. Let's go over to First um, Peter chapter 1. I think I'm going to start reading in verse 3 here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. There's, there's regeneration. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See how Peter puts that out in front of us? We, in other words, we're anticipating, we're looking forward to um, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And that again, of course, he's talking about glorification. It's uh, the completion of our redemption. And then he goes on to say, uh, thoughts you know, that seem similar to Paul's here, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So, so Peter's saying, uh, like Paul, right now you're, you're going through various trials and you're grieved by that. Um, so that, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that, that is when, uh, again, our glorification will take place. Though you have not seen Him, verse 8, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Um, that, by the way, can be translated uh, glorified joy. 
So, in other words, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice um, with glorified joy that is inexpressible. Joy that is inexpressible and glorified. Um, so, again, to quote R.F. Gates again, he used to, I've heard him say this a lot of times, uh, he say the only thing that's already glorified about us is our joy. <laughs> and that's where he was getting it from, this verse. So... Um, our joy in God, in Christ, glorified joy. But the rest of us is waiting to be glorified. We don't have new bodies yet. We're not um, living sinless existence yet. All that's out in front of us. Ready to be revealed, as Peter says here. The salvation ready to be revealed. And incidentally, look, look back at verse 4 for a minute before we go to the next passage. Um, he says, we're born again, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So, um, so it doesn't, nothing can destroy it, nothing can corrupt it, nothing can end it, kill it. And, and that's that's where we're that's where we're headed. That that uh, imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. Okay, First um, Corinthians. <coughs> two more here. I'd like to get to First Corinthians fifteen, and this is way too long for us to cover all this. But I'll, I'm going to hit a couple of points here. Because Paul talks about <coughs> our receiving our, our uh, the resurrection and our receiving our new bodies um, quite a bit here in 1 Corinthians 15. We don't know a lot about what all that's going to be like, <coughs> but a lot of what we do know comes from right here, this chapter. All right, look at verse 1 for starters, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Notice the tense of the verb there. You are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Some, you know, like, like when we... Uh, we, we talked about this, for example, when we were in John 2, John 8, um, two places that come to mind, where you had people that John says believed, Jews that believed, but but they didn't really believe. In fact, they, they wind up walking away from Christ. So they didn't have genuine faith, in other words, and um, that would be an empty, empty faith, a vain faith. Vain faith. Yeah, they probably did say, "Hey, this is this is the Messiah," you know, because they're seeing Jesus do all the miracles and he's feeding them, you know, miraculously and all that. But but right, but they didn't. But they they weren't um, really accepting him for who he was and and, uh, and believing what he was saying. So yeah, it's kind of tricky sometimes but like I say there's two two examples you you'll see in John 2 and at the end of John 2 and then also in John 8 
Um, and there are other places where that's, uh, you know, the word belief is used that way. I think probably Paul here's got both things in mind because of because of some of the things that he says to the Corinthians. Um, he seems to imply that um, some of them are not, are possibly not, should say it that way, possibly not true believers. But also here, the whole case that he's going to make right here is that the resurrection is essential. And so if the, if the resurrection did not happen, then our fate is vain. Um, we're still in our sin. All right, so let me skip down a little bit here. Go down to verse 35. Like I said, I can't, can't really take time to read through this whole chapter, but look at verse 35. <clears throat> but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now, what I want us to see here is that he's, he's connecting our receiving our new bodies with the resurrection. In other words, that's where glorification is going to take, take place at the, at the final resurrection. Okay, um, verse 36, here's how he answers. So, he's, he raises the question. Some will, say, some will ask, how are, the, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. Now he goes on to uh, talk about the distinction between the, the, the physical, the earthly um, body, and the, you know the earthly man and the spiritual. So, in, in other words, what 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 w the existence that we are looking forward to is spiritual in nature. And um, although it will, it does seem that it will include a physical body, but uh, but it, it'll be renewed. All right, it'll it'll, it'll be um, more like. Um, I guess this is the only thing we really have to compare it to, other than other than Jesus Himself. But as far as um, mere humans go, it would be, be more like the existence of Adam and Eve. Uh, you know, they lived in a, uh, in the beginning, they lived in a sinless existence, in a, in a kind of a glorified state. But, but our, our, ours will be like that of Christ. And so even, it seems to me, and this goes back partly to what we saw in Peter when Peter says it's, it's, uh, it's not corruptible, um, it seems to me that one, one major distinction between us and Adam and Eve, the state that we'll be in, is that we won't have the possibility of sin. That'll be taken away. So that's a glorious, glorious state that we look forward to. Verse 42, Paul is, uh, says essentially the same thing. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. So remember, we're talking about the bodies here. So what is sown is this, this natural body, this, this earthly body, and it's perishable. But what is raised, remember the question is, what will it, what will it be like? What kind of body do they come? With what kind of body do they come? And Paul's answering here, although... There's not a whole lot of detail. He's just telling us the nature of it. So, so what is raised um, will be imperishable. Verse 43. 
It is sown in dishonor. Again, this, this body that we now live in. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. We can all identify with that. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So, um, it's, it's uh, going to be different than anything we've, uh, we've ever known. And that's going to happen at, at the final resurrection. In fact, if you go down to verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. That's Isaiah 25, 8. And, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That's Hosea 13, 14. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable. And he's doing the same thing here, essentially, that he was doing back in Romans 8. He's saying, live this life with this in mind, with, with this hope before you. Therefore, that's what that therefore is there for. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see how that ties in with um, verse 2? Unless you believed in vain, but now, now after he's explained uh, you know, the, the fact of the resurrection, made the case for the necessity of the resurrection, and, uh, and, and said you know, that um, essentially that because Christ is raised, we can be assured that we'll be raised, so your labor is not in vain. One more passage I want to look at here, and that's uh, 1 John 3. 1 John 3, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Remember I said earlier, the, the already and the not yet. That's, that's, um, that's where we're at, in the, in, in the already and the not yet. Well, here's an example of the already. Behold what manner of the love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are, John said. So that, that is so. And then he goes on. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are children. We are God's children now. So there again, the already. We are God's children now. And what we will be, there's the not yet, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And what we said about sanctification, sanctification becoming more and more like Christ, but it's not going to be completed in this life. It's going to be completed um, at the time of our glorification. That, that, that'll, that's what our glorification will be. It'll be completed at the resurrection like we just saw in 
First uh, Corinthians 15. And here's a great description of what it means, I think, to be glorified. And that is, we shall be like Jesus. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. That, you know, that, that seems to say that the, <laughs> that the, final, um, the final work that, that, um, that is necessary to bring our salvation to completion our, our to, to, um, to glorify us is to behold the glorified Savior. We shall be like Him, John says, because we shall see Him as He is. So it seems to suggest when, when at that point, when we're raised and we see Jesus as He is, that we are instantaneously changed to be like Him. And everyone who thus hopes in who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now that's getting back to sanctification again. But that's that's the hope that we have to look forward to. I mean we stri- we strive and we pray and we you know we, we desire in this life to be like Jesus. Well, there at that point, at the resurrection, at the final resurrection, when when we are raised to be with him. Um, that will become reality. And so, um, again, setting that out as a motivator, same thing Peter did, same thing Paul did in, in Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 15. Now John says, everyone who, who thus hopes in him, everyone who has this hope, purifies himself as he is pure. Why? Because we got uh, an eye on eternity. We've got great, Reward, to use Jesus' language, um, great reward ahead of us. So, that's it, the glorif- our glorification. It's awesome, especially when you, like I say, when you think of the, the trials, the temptations, the difficulties, the persecutions, hardships, whatever it is that you deal with in this life. Uh, there's there's coming a time when it's all going to be um, over. History, it's it's temporary. That's good news. Any um, comments before we dismiss? All right. Well, let me just raise this, throw this question out before we. How, how many? Think of the chain in Romans. I mean, just just from what we've what we've read and of the golden chain in Romans, for example. Here's the question. How many of those whom he foreknew, those that he knew before the foundation of the world, or, or we could say it like Jesus does in John 6, how many of those that the Father has given the Son, how many of those will come to completion and be glorified? <laughs> Everyone. That's, that's a great hope. Great hope. Paul, again in, in Corinthians, he, he, he connects the rewards to our works, you know, what, what we do, um, and yes, the answer would be yes, I would say. But here, you know, like the way I was just using the term reward and what I think, what I think Peter is talking about and what Paul is talking about and is, is um, just talking about our glorification. In other words, we, 
we've got great reward ahead of us um, when, when we're out of this world, when we, when we leave this world. And, and he's using that, all, uh, uh, all, three of them, all three of them, they're using that as encouragement because the, the people that they're writing to um, are suffering, suffering like, like, like Paul mentioned in, in, uh, in well, Peter as well. Like they're, they're writing to people who are suffering in this world, and much of it is, you know, they're suffering because of their, their faith. And so they're reminding them that uh, whatever happens in this world, whatever you go to for the, for the sake of the name of Christ, there is great reward a- ahead of you. And, and this is it right here. John is summing it up. What is the great reward? To be like Jesus. When he appears, we shall be like him. I mean, first and foremost, you know, the, the, let me be clear on this too. Um, I like to be clear when I'm especially using the term reward. What is our reward? Jesus. Jesus, right? And he is our reward. To, to know him. He is eternal life. Um, you know, when, when he prayed in John 17, this is eternal life that they may know you, Father, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So he is life. He is light. He is our reward. And what he's doing in our, in our um, salvation is, is conforming us into his likeness. He's bringing us into, um, you know, harmony with him. Restoring what was lost uh, in in Adam and Eve, but um, but really going beyond that, as I said earlier, um, and uh, it's 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 he's taking us to a better state, a, a, a better position in terms of our our relationship to Him, a better position than what um, Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. So that's our reward, Christ, Christ, and to be like Him. When He appears, we shall be like Him. And anybody who longs for holiness, longs for, you know, sanct- uh, to, to be sanctified completely, that is great news. God's going to get us there. Right? Great news. Wouldn't it be nice to worship, for example, <clears throat> without the hindrance of sin? I mean, how many times have you got down to pray or even like here in corporate worship, and your mind's going about 50 different directions or whatever, you know, distractions or whatever. That's just a small example, but I mean, there, there's so many ways that we get, you know, our, our focus is removed from Christ because we're constantly um, dealing with um, the old nature. That, that, that'll be history. Do you mind praying for us, Brother Carl? And we'll dismiss.